Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana. Welcome back. Today, we have part two of this two-part series where we discuss Salesforce interviews. Our guests again are Matt Hollingshead and Christopher Hopper. And if you didn't catch last week's episode, which was part one, I recommend you go back and listen to that one first. Hopefully you get some really interesting insight from Matt and Chris, and I share some insight too. And yeah, hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Matt, Chris, thank you very much for both joining me. And and back onto the topic of um, interviews. When you send a candidate for an interview, Chris, are you hoping that they, they're going to call you afterwards, right? But are you hoping they're in there for a decent period of time? Or is it a bad sign for you when someone calls you after 15 minutes and says, you know, I think that went well? Well, I always hear, I think it went well. I've, I've never, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's so remarkable how many times I hear it was great. It went well. I think I aced it. And the exact opposite is the feedback from the hiring manager, right? I've never, I don't know if I've ever, if it's happened, it's happened very far and few between where I actually had a candidate come back and say, yeah, Chris, I sucked. It wasn't good. I didn't hit it off. You know, go ahead and pull me out of contention. Like that's, that's very seldom happening to me. I wish it would happen more often, especially to be truthful about how it really went. Unless, you know, I guess two parties see completely different perspectives about one, the candidate feeling like it went super great and the high manager thought it was just horrible. But yeah, it's, it's a tough call, Ben, because sometimes they ace it and the hiring manager knows right offhand within the first 10 or 15 minutes that they're a shoe in and they're exactly what they're looking for. And then sometimes they cut it, you know, they cut it off within the five or 10 minutes. So it's always, you know, I guess a crapshoot, so to speak, as far as what the actual results are. And I'm kind of just sitting on, pins waiting to hear back what the real results are. I can't really take the candidates feedback once they give it to me because I know it's based on what I've seen over the years. I have to take it with a grain of salt because unfortunately their opinion doesn't really matter than the day. It's more about what the company and the hiring manager comes back with. Yeah. Matt, will you always honor the hours slot, even if you know straight away, good or bad, um, if they're right or wrong or, or the half hour slot or however long they're expecting the interview to be? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep the whole time. I think it wears on you if you have like interview after interview after interview and they happen to be the last. It's more a fatigue issue <laughs> rather than time with them. But again, I, I think there's value in just getting, it's like networking. If you look at like networking and it's not so much about the recruiting aspect, it's like this is either going to work out this way or that way, but we're networking here and getting to know each other. It doesn't need to be a burden. So if they were a no, if you knew that they were a no, would you spend the rest of the time coaching them or giving them feedback? I'm pretty good at going through the prerequisites before to get to that point. I think it is helpful too that we've got internal recruiter that filters as well. So when I've got that, I think it's a different story. Going to times past when I haven't had an internal recruiter kind of filter through those, man, it's been a while. But yeah, there, there's definitely times where you just need to cut it short. And I think it's hard when I've done recruiting lunches when you, you're stuck. <laughs> you're, you're there for an hour. <laughs> so you just make the best of it. Yeah. And, and, and then a slight different perspective, too, is a lot of times I get roles that are contract, right? So hired guns. And that process to me is a different interviewing style and methodology and approach because it's very linear, in my opinion, as far as what they're looking for and the skill sets they're looking for for a candidate. And they know 
within the first few minutes that this individual, especially on the technical dev side, the dev side or the architect side, you know, I don't think there's that many gray areas when it comes to those skill sets. I think either you know it or you don't, and then start asking some pretty straightforward questions in the interview process. They'll determine whether or not they need to pull the plug early or not. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a really good point. The level of tech that you need to know really does change how the interview can go too. Because, and and I, I feel like it's courtesy to actually bring on your tests a bit earlier. If it's, you know, you need somebody with good dev skills, like you should be bringing that on in the first like couple interviews. Let's not waste time if that's like the main skill that you're really looking for. As per Chris's message there, like are your expectations higher when you're hiring a contractor compared to hiring a permanent member of staff? Um, yeah, I think it goes similar back to whether you're going through a recruiting agency or a contractor too, because I feel like going through recruiting agencies, often it's looked at like, well, I, you, you know, there's guarantees in place and those type of things. So if it doesn't work out, like I can always fall back and you would find me somebody else. So it's kind of like this little bit of a safer zone, but you do want the best of best and not go through all of that process. Um, with contractors, I mean, I've had all sorts of levels of contractors. I think the majority of contractors is mainly companies that hire, though, not individual contractors, which is a little different and gives you that fail safe as well. If somebody doesn't work out, great, they just bring somebody else on. So I find the advantage of going with a company rather than a person when it comes to sure. contractors. Yeah, we don't have so much of that here. Like, obviously, we have consulting partners, but we tend to have individual contractors and permanent staff. And then if you outsource a project, then you'd go to a company. But yeah, it's interesting because I think everyone now feels they can be a contractor in the market because there's so much demand. But actually, when Chris mentioned gun for hire, right, you're hiring someone with a specific set of skills. And it's not so much about the long term game and the culture and things like that, you need someone to come in and deliver. I did just hire a contract two contractors this summer. And you're right, it's a much quicker process, though. Like you're just looking for like, exactly like I, I had to hire him for training. And I needed to know that they just had the training skills, I needed to see their portfolios and what they've done before and get some really good um, references. And that was the main thing that I cared about versus, hey, you're long-term with me. That's a great point, Matt, as far as the portfolio, man. I continue to try to harp on this with the newcomers breaking in the Salesforce market. I'm like, you've got to show some level of creativity, create a portfolio, create a YouTube video, explaining what you're learning, doing trailheads, getting your badges, creating your own applications. Because to me, if you're not doing that, you're on an equal playing field, right? You got your M insert, you're a ranger. Okay, and so is hundreds of other people right now who are trying to break it in the market. But each of us have a background, a creativity element to us that I think we should be showcasing out to the world to give us a, an advantage in the competitive marketplace. And so I'm glad you mentioned this portfolio and something that you look into because I continue to harp on it. I don't know if anybody listens to me or thinks I'm full of you know, BS or not. But at the end of the day, I think it's important to have that. And that's something that you just mentioned that you looked at and helped determine whether the kid was a good, good fit or not. Yeah, I, I think that's huge. If, if somebody proactively brings that up, they pretty much go to all-star status because they've, they've done their work. They know their stuff. They know their skills and they don't have to go so much and prove it through words. Like they can prove it through their action and it's totally different. Talking yeah. of portfolios, is that your art, Chris, or are you paying someone to do it? <laughs> Have you seen the art, Ben? It's, it's, it's at a third grade level. I'm doing it. I'm trying to get better. You know, I had someone, a Salesforce consultant asked me if my seven-year-old was was drawing those pictures instead of me, but I'm, I'm doing the artwork that I'm posting on LinkedIn. I know it's 
lousy for now, but my goal is to be better over time. And, the, you know, and what I'm trying to do with this messaging as far as artwork goes and try to, I thought about this some, I'm like, I'm not scared to put myself out there and get ridiculed or, or, or whatever, as far as these pictures that I'm drawing. And my thought is that hopefully someone else will take that to heart and be willing to do the same thing with their Salesforce portfolio. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be, you know, exactly what, you know, your best of your best at all times. It's more about you learning and getting better over time and being able to show some personality and creativity to it. And so that's why I'm trying to translate this artistic piece of me that's pretty low level right now with the goal to get better that hopefully other people that are taking, you know, Salesforce admin certifications and training to start building some apps and displaying those is kind of my mindset around this process, Ben. Yeah, I love it. And I'm a big fan of portfolios as well. Like that's that's a message that we both bang on with. And and when I see it, I'm, it's so refreshing to see someone that's taken the advice and and they're actually building stuff and they're the ones that get the jobs, right? That's There's proof in the pudding. One area we didn't touch on, and Matt, you kind of touched on it with questions and when candidates ask questions and they show an interest, do you have questions that you always finish an interview with? Because I see sometimes hiring managers will ask every single candidate, when they're available, how quickly they can be available, even if the interview went bad. And I feel that gives the wrong impression to a candidate because they then think, oh, that I must have aced that. You know, I've just been asked how soon I can be available. Is that something that you just think is ingrained in people that, oh, I have to ask that because it's an interview? Yeah, I definitely think it's ingrained in people. I would say my last questions are always, I, I try to give 10 minutes or so to the candidate to ask whatever questions they can. So it's definitely... My questions are more like, what, what else can I answer you? But I try to steer away from asking those type of questions and t- unless I am ready. I, and it's more statements around uh, kind of what I was talking about earlier. I will go over how the interview went in the last couple minutes. And based on, based on that interview, let them know like if I feel like they're good to move on to the next step and we will go ahead and try that out. If they can go on to the next three steps, you know, based on, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. Or I just don't feel they're ready for this position. And I don't want to do a disservice to either them or, or me at this moment in time. So I try to just lead with that. Yeah. I mean, Chris, that must be something you hear a lot of as well. Like people coming out and saying, oh, they asked these questions, so I'm sure it went well. And I think, like you said, most people feel it went well anyway, but that kind of reinforces it. Yeah. Just to put a, a bow on the top of the conversation at the end to determine what the, you know, if there's next steps and what those are, or if there wasn't. I mean, I don't know how clear you can get, like if you interview with Matt and he says at the end, you know, I don't think this is a, a good fit based on where you are and where we're looking for. And for the candidate to come back to me and say, Chris, I'm an excellent fit. I'm, I can't wait to hear about next steps. I'm like, <laughs> what conversation did you, just, did you just have? Because that's not what Matt said. Yeah. So what, what's the gold standard of feedback, in your opinion? And, and I'm talking like after an interview. So the candidate leaves. What would, especially Matt, if you're working with your internal recruitment team, what would you expect of them to be delivering to someone? True next step direction. Like, what, where are you compared to this position that I'm hiring for? You know, and is this going to work or is this not? That's how it should be. And how quickly? Yeah, and how quickly too, for sure. And and that's where those those questions do come in. Again, as we're filtering and I've got, you know, the first person that asked, usually the first person who was interviewing is asking those questions. So I already kind of know with their basis. And if anything, I'm more confirming like, oh, it sounds like you're interviewing with other other groups right now. Um, so I think it is a valid question to ask up front, just because it goes back to what we were talking about earlier too. Like 
if you're wanting to hire this person and they're at the end of hiring process with like a couple other companies, you kind of need to move a little bit faster if you really care to get that candidate. Because if you don't know that, like you'll lose them really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. Chris, what do you think in terms of like how quickly should a company be giving feedback after an interview? It really depends on, you know, if it's, if it's a panel, right? And so you have two or three different people. I can understand it takes a few hours or a day to recall, you know, collect the information and provide a, a summary about what went on. But if it's one-on-one, -on -one, same day, worst case, next day, why should it take any longer than that? And it could just be a few short sentences describing, you know, what the thoughts are there. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't think it should take more than a few days all in all, regardless of how many people are involved in the conversation. Regardless of the time, that should just be communicated at the end of an interview, too. Of like, hey, I've got a panel. We need to all meet together. It, right. We're meeting on Monday. You know, I will get to you by the end of day, Monday, and let you know where we are. Like, it's not difficult to actually communicate those things. You've already got a plan for it. It's not difficult, but it's crazy how many times it doesn't happen. And then people are just left wondering. And like, it's, it, I, I see these things on LinkedIn sometimes where people say, like, I interviewed for this three, this role three months ago, and I just got a rejection email. And it's like the, the whole personal touch is taken out of it. And it's just a click of a button and they get an email that says they run successful. Yeah. It's because right. they're understaffed in HR is usually what it is. So <laughs> and I'll we, need, we need to help hire those people first in order to help the Salesforce people. <laughs> yeah. So just to sign off, Matt, if you could give one piece of advice to, to a job seeker preparing for an interview and also a hiring manager, one separate piece each, what would you say? Come interview with me first off, because I'm a little bit different. That's for sure. I, <laughs> I believe in the philosophy that it is better to focus on one company in a day rather than a thousand companies in a day and do it right and go through that job description and tailor your resume to that job description and make sure that you, you can actually meet that. And it's not that you need to meet it hundred percent, but try to meet it. If you meet it 75%, even 60%, like a lot of times you're going to be just fine, but tailor your resume to actually meet that individual company's needs. And then from a hiring manager, I think it's more a time thing than anything, but if hiring managers could actually take a little bit more time to just not look at a piece of paper and realize they're people and go inward and have a little bit more intuition rather than just like outward, like great, and some more words on paper, it's, it's life-changing. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Everyone knows where to find Chris by now, um, but where can people find you if they have any questions? You know, LinkedIn is the best spot as well. Hit me up on LinkedIn and I'm, I'm pretty active on there. Awesome. Well, thank you both. Really good chat. Right. Thanks for having us, Ben. We appreciate Thanks, it. Ben. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talent Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. Um, we're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible. And your reviews will help us do that.